anyone could see that the wind was a special wind this night, and the darkness took on a special feel because it was All Hallows' Eve. Ray Bradbury, The Halloween Tree. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Well, it's October, which means candy corn, costumes, and pumpkins. Horror fans' favorite holiday will soon be upon us. Today, we are celebrating the spookiest day of the year with Halloween horror stories on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash books in the freezer. Happy listening. So since we're into October, we thought it was the perfect time to dedicate an entire episode to horror stories set on or around Halloween. And I think for a lot of horror fans, Halloween is basically the biggest holiday and like bigger than Christmas. And we've talked about a little bit before, but do you want to go into how do you celebrate the holidays, Stephanie? Oh, I get into it. (laughs) Let's talk about this. Yes, let's unpack this. I host a Halloween party every year with just a couple of my friends, but we don't get trick-or-treaters where I live. So I feel like if I'm going to decorate my house, which I will, nothing will stop me. (laughs) I do want someone to see it other than Instagram. (laughs) I just host like a small Halloween party. I think like usually the weekend before Halloween. And it's just like fun games, music and stuff. And this year I'm doing a 1940s theme. Ooh, Yeah, I came across a lot of novelty Halloween songs from that era like people that have seen Jeepers Creepers you will know the song like Jeepers Creepers where'd you get those peepers but there's like so many songs like that like the Wobblin Goblin and all these kind of like funny songs about Halloween but from that era so I kind of went with that and just worked around that so people are coming in like period costume and I think it should be fun I'm gonna look up like games and food like from that era so you are doing costumes though I was gonna ask do you make all your friends dress up or are they pretty game they usually dress up it's like a costume competition and I usually give away a gift card you have to incentivize people I've realized so I have a gift card for best dressed so this year I think I might wear a witch hat costumes from that era were pretty simple And when it comes to decorations, how early are you allowed to start? Like everyone always talks with Christmas, like how early you can put out the Christmas tree. So what's your rule for Halloween decorations? So I get the agreement we have come to in my house between my husband and my sister is I can get fall decorations out in September, Halloween specific October 1st. (laughs) I like how they gave you a date. (laughs) Because I was like, oh, pumpkin spice lattes are back. And they're like, that's not the metric. You're like, but... But I felt a little bit of a chill and there was a leaf on the ground. Still not the metric. I have like the tubs opened up and ready to go. Like when October 1st hits, I'm here. Yeah, that's the thing. We're recording this a little bit early. So it means that we're still a little ways from Halloween, but it's already on my brain. I don't know. I want to do something really fun this year. Jesse and I are pretty low-key ourselves around Halloween. And I was actually thinking like, Jesse, like my husband, isn't a big horror fan. We've discussed it so many times, but we actually started dating in October. And so one of our very first dates was carving pumpkins. So it's actually become a bit of a like 
family tradition that we try to do is like a date night every year. And like the first year we did it, first of all, he discovered how bad I am at carving pumpkins because <laughs> he made this like super cool like jack-o'-lantern that had this like great face. It just looked awesome. Like, of course, you know, it's hard to describe. But I decided to decorate my pumpkin as my cat. But then my cat was really fat. So I just kept making the circle like bigger and bigger to the point that like basically half the pumpkin was carved out and you could just see the candle inside and it was just a hole <laughs> with like little whiskers coming out and so it just was really bad and this is when he discovered that I'm not crafty at all so since then kind of every year we try to do a pumpkin carving sometime in October just kind of as a cute date night but I'm really bad at remembering to buy pumpkins so we've kind of moved our pumpkin carving to orange bell pepper carving because when the store <laughs> runs out of pumpkins that's all that's left so we've done that and it's a lot more low-key and we keep it pretty simple Otherwise, on the actual day, October 31st, we normally, like I mentioned, hand out some candy and then we usually watch Ghostbusters. But this year, I want to up our game because Jesse's been a little more game for watching horror movies in the last couple of years. And so he has agreed officially to watch a horror movie with me. But if anyone is keeping track of my chilling obsessions, they've probably noticed that I have not been doing so well in picking out movies that Jesse actually likes. So I'm on a bit of thin ice when it comes to picking out the movie. Right now we're thinking about either re-watching the movie It, the new one, or possibly watching Nightmare on Elm Street, which I've seen, but he hasn't. And he also just recently expressed interest in watching The Shining because of course he saw those clips when we watched the Ready Player One movie. So that is kind of what I'm thinking right now because I haven't seen it. And if I don't jump on this soon he'll forget about it but he did say recently hey you know I'd kind of like to see where that movie came from and actually see the full movie so I might want to yeah monopolize on the timing <laughs> so that's my plan but I'd actually love to know like even if you Stephanie or any of our listeners have like other recommendations for people who haven't watched every horror movie like what's a good one to go with because there's a lot of classics but I worry that they may not translate well and even some of the more popular new movies like the Quiet Place didn't really work for Jesse, so I'm not sure what to do and I'm afraid to lose all of my movie picking cred. So I'm yeah, a little nervous. Yeah, it's tough. And I am right there with you, honey, because <laughs> my husband hates horror movies. So. <laughs> I told you, I still keep hearing about all the problems with The Purge. And I think that's probably the last horror movie we saw. <laughs> he cut you off at that point. <laughs> yeah, my favorite is The Descent. I think it's amazing. So Maybe if you can find that, it's very fast-paced, action-packed, and I think very well-written. But The Shining is great, too. You think it still works well on the current date? Oh, yeah. I think so. Well, it's beautifully shot. It's a classic for a reason. Very different from the book, but... <laughs> That's okay. That's not important. Totally <laughs> unimportant. Oh, we also just got back from Disneyland yesterday. I guess I should say, I'm while we're recording this, I'm here in California visiting my family. And I'm recording this in my old bedroom. But yeah, we got back from Disneyland yesterday and I was so excited because I've never been there for Halloween. I know they kind of go all out for Halloween and then all out for Christmas. And I was really excited because I can't remember the last time I was there for Christmas, but I hadn't seen the Haunted Mansion kind of gets taken over by the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff and it gets decorated and, you know, like the pinstripe bows and there's pumpkins everywhere. And when you go inside, like the whole ride is Nightmare Before Christmas themed and it was so fun. Like I was so happy that I got to see that. Oh, I love that. I love Jack so much. Oh, it was good. So did my son. That's my son's probably favorite movie is The Nightmare Before Christmas. So he was really scared while we were waiting in line because they kind of do a creepy presentation before you go on the ride. And so he was really scared. But then when we got on the ride and he saw like Jack and Zero and Sally, he was okay. He got grounded and was like, okay. Oh, that's so good. I love that that's his favorite movie. How did you prime <laughs> him so well? He was probably like in the crib and you're like, all right, you're gonna love this. I actually think he picked that out on his own because they have it on Netflix. And I think he was looking through and he said that one, like, I want to watch that one. And my heart was so proud. Aww. I'm like, of course you do, buddy. It's a great <laughs> one. Let's watch it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you have chosen well. Good son. Good son. <laughs> they also had black churros there, like maleficent Ooh. churros. I don't know if like it was just darker cinnamon sugar. <laughs> <but> <laughs> they were good. Yeah, I'd be a little bit sketched why they're black, but that would be a lot of fun. 
Yeah, it wasn't like the dough. It was like the toppings on it. Okay, that doesn't seem quite so bad, maybe. Let's let's hope there's food (laughs) dye involved. And I said in our Patreon chat, but only you go to Disneyland and come back with all these pictures of like the creepy parts of Disneyland. Like I expected you to be like posing with like Cinderella, but no, it was like, that's so you. It's Disneyland at Halloween. Yeah, but you went early. I don't want to break the illusion, but it's still September. Yeah, they switch over, I guess, like September 7th, like Halloween at Disneyland starts. So you know what this means? You need to renegotiate with your husband about your decorating plans. That's true. And say if Disneyland can decorate starting in September, so can you. Exactly. You're right. I'm going to take this back and renegotiate my terms. I think you should. So I'm glad you mentioned The Nightmare Before Christmas because that's one of my favorite horror movies set around Halloween. So I was trying to think of other movies that are set around Halloween because I feel like there are a lot of them, but the only one I could think of that I've personally watched, at least that I can remember, is obviously Halloween, like the classic about the serial killer Michael Myers, which... I actually watched for the first time this year. I had to repair some of my horror movie cred. I personally loved Halloween a lot. Just thought that the scenes with Michael Myers watching outside of windows with that creepy classic movie music was just perfect. Like totally gave me goosebumps. Of course, I'm that person who for years didn't know the difference between Mike Myers and Michael Myers. And so I thought everyone was just talking about that like pretty famous Canadian comic actor. And I was like, (laughs) why is he creepy? I mean, I guess he's a little weird, but I never got it. Oh my gosh. When I was a kid, I thought the same thing. And I'm like, wait, so the serial killer from that movie is the voice of Shrek and this is just okay? This is allowed to happen? Yes, I'm glad it wasn't me. I was so confused. Like, I didn't figure that out until embarrassingly recently, like probably within the last (laughs) two, three years. I kid you not. I was like, oh, oh, okay, I'm good now. And of course, if we're going to talk Halloween, we have to mention the new movie that's coming out on October 19th, which is pretty soon by the time you're listening to this. I understand it's supposed to be a sequel to the original movie, so you don't need to watch like two, three, four. And of course, it is starring Jamie Lee Curtis. She's coming back to reprise her role. Obviously, it's set like far into the future from that movie. So I don't know. I'm cautiously excited to check it out. I'm definitely going to watch it, though. I've decided I'm going to see it for myself. Are you interested? I mean, I can have no opinions about it because I have seen none of them. Maybe after I watch the first one, I'll decide. That's fair. So I have watched that one. But like I said, at this point, I'm kind of drawing a blank. So I turn over to you. Could you recommend some more Halloween horror movies for people to watch? I'm just going to recommend cult classic Trick or Treat, which is an anthology movie that's set around Halloween. There's a few interconnected stories that take place in the same town in Ohio on the night of Halloween. And if you've seen the cover art or are vaguely familiar with the movie, you'll recognize the Sam character. It's like a small, scary looking kind of kid with a burlap sack over his head. And you find out a little more about him as the movie goes on. But the movie opens up with the scene of someone paying the price for not following the rules of Halloween by blowing out the candle from a jack-o'-lantern before Halloween has ended. So I know this is a cult classic, like a lot of people love it. And it's like a Halloween favorite that people turn to all the time. And I'm glad I finally saw it because I actually just saw it very recently. (laughs) But I'm really glad that I did and I get it now. And then I feel... Like for Disney, there's like three teams you're on for Halloween movies. I feel like you're either Team Nightmare Before Christmas or you're Team Hocus Pocus or you're Team Halloween Town. Which team are you, Rachel? I'm Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, same. But I feel like a lot of people are Team Hocus Pocus. I feel like it's trying to elbow out Nightmare Before Christmas, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think we have to make a Twitter poll. That's what I'm seeing out of this. I think so too. <laughs> Let people box it out online. Yeah. I mean, they're all great. I love all of them. I loved the Halloween Town movies growing up. I find that I just don't watch a lot of like full length movies in general. Like just for me to sit down and like watch straight for two hours rarely happens. Like even when I'm by myself, I'll end up kind of watching horror movies in a couple sittings just the way I am. So I'm much Mm -hmm. better with TV shows. And that got me thinking that there are some amazing TV Halloween specials. Yes. 
For me, my go-to Halloween specials are the Simpson episodes, which is funny because I wasn't even allowed to watch the Simpsons growing up, but somehow I ended up watching all the Treehouse of Horror episodes and they scared the pants off of me as a kid. I was a little scaredy cat. Did you get to watch any? <laughs> no, I was not allowed to watch the Simpsons either. My mom didn't let me watch like Sabrina the Teenage Witch, so... I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons. There was one Halloween special, I wonder if anyone else remembers this, called The Thing and I, which is all about like Bart's evil twin that they kept in the attic. And I remember I was at a sleepover at a friend's house, which is why I got to watch it. Mm -hmm. And of course, like typical me, I was like at the sleepover and then could not sleep afterwards. I was so <laughs> afraid to go to bed. Like that one sticks with me today. I kind of want to rewatch it and see if it still scares me. So that's one that I always think of whenever I think Halloween special. I would love to rewatch all the Treehouse of Horror episodes. Another one that comes to mind is Stranger Things, which as a whole definitely has a horror creepy feel to it, but especially season two starts out right on Halloween. I just love that scene when the kids are getting together and they all have their Ghostbuster costumes on, but like no one wanted to be the add-on extra Ghostbuster, the, I don't even remember the actor's name, but basically the black Ghostbuster who unlike the other ones wasn't a scientist, he was like added on really late and it was just this really awkward awkward racial thing that the movie did and so I love that they addressed it and they're like why did they assume that the black kid in their group automatically was going to be that guy oh yeah that was really funny <laughs> it was just so well done and then of course they realized that they were suddenly at the age at school where Halloween was no longer cool or at least dressing up was no longer cool so they were like those people who dressed up when no one else did oh <laughs> uh, it was so cringeworthy but I loved it well, I think also we need to talk about favorite show of the podcast. Surprisingly, not Friends. It is actually <laughs> The Office. Yeah, I think it would be Friends. I know. Considering the name of the podcast. Yes, there are so many good Halloween specials on that show. I think every year they did something for Halloween. And first mm -hmm. off, it made me super jealous because I work in an office where we do not celebrate Halloween at all. I would never, ever wear a costume here. So to have an office that goes like all out and every single person wears like a full costume, I'm just in heaven. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking, I think it's in either the first or second season where Michael has to fire someone like right on Halloween. Halloween and I love <laughs> yeah. the setup for that which means like I think he was wearing maybe two heads for that episode like he had like an extra head on his shoulder and then he's like trying to fire someone while everyone is in these like ridiculous costumes like I think Creed is wearing like a vampire outfit and you just you can't fire someone when they're wearing like a costume it's just you can't take anything seriously oh I know that was a great one <laughs> Another one that I always love is the year that Pam went to work for a different office that doesn't celebrate Halloween. And maybe it's because I relate to this a bit. And she decided to dress up as Charlie Chaplin. So of course she had the hat and the little mustache. And then all her other co-workers wore normal clothes, which made her stick out like a sore thumb. And then the fact that she had to say, well, I can't even take the hat off because then I dressed up as Hitler. <laughs> I loved it so much. I always quote that to my co-workers like every Halloween. I was like, this is why I can't wear costumes here. I loved when... Aaron had to host the Halloween party and Robert California was going to stop by. So Andy was freaking out that it had to be like perfect and grown up. And Andy said he wanted to talk to her. So she just keeps making it like crazier and crazier to avoid having a meeting with him. And then she goes to Gabe because Gabe is like a horror movie fanatic. And he puts on this like homemade movie that is like so upsetting. And everyone in the office is like angry that they had to watch it. I forgot about that one. It's so good. So I have a little bit of a quiz for you. I'm so nervous about this. You didn't tell me ahead of time. This is about Dwight's costumes throughout the run of The Office. I'm going to list a couple and you're going to tell me which one he did not dress up as. Okay, okay. I'm glad it's multiple choice. Yeah, multiple choice and there's only one that isn't. Okay. So Freddy Krueger, Jigsaw, Pinhead, Jason, a Sith Lord, and Kerrigan from StarCraft. Okay, I definitely recognize the Sith Lord costume. I do remember that because I'm a big Star Wars nerd. I don't know. I want to say he didn't do Jigsaw. Am I right? He didn't do Jason. Oh, really? 
there's a montage when he dresses up as Kerrigan because Toby takes the blades from him. Yes. And he's like, Toby is always censoring my costumes. And so it shows him like walking with like the Freddy glove and Toby taking it. And like then another scene of Toby like taking the pins out of his face for Pinhead. <gasps> yes. <laughs> and then of him as Jigsaw on like the little tricycle and Toby running after him. <laughs> oh my gosh. How did I forget that? <laughs> so Jason is one that he is not dressed up as. Oh my gosh, he's done so many good ones. So we read a lot of Halloween stories to get ready for this episode. Were there any themes you noticed? So I'm going to start with the super obvious and say (laughs) most, if not all of these stories are set around Halloween. So we have that to begin with. But otherwise, there's a lot of traditional activities you see. A lot of the stories when talk about have like trick-or-treating or carving pumpkins, people wearing costumes, things like that. I also noticed that they often involve themes of an evil arising that might have been dormant at other times of the year that kind of only comes around in the fall. And often Halloween is the anniversary of past atrocities and killings and is kind of an important date in the community that you're reading about in these fictional towns. And Halloween, which is predominantly celebrated in the Northern Hemisphere, is of course also the autumn season. So October in general is all about life dying and moving into hibernation of winter. So I did see a lot of those themes, especially in the short stories I was reading. How about you? I noticed a lot about communication with the spirit realm or a lot of lore about Halloween, specifically that Halloween is the day that the veil that separates the two worlds is the thinnest. I read an anthology collection and I promise you like every other collection like mentioned that fact. So that was something that stuck out. A lot of supernatural stuff happening on Halloween and a lot of pagan rituals and rituals honoring the dead. I'm thinking specifically of Dia de los Muertos in Mexico, which is also just the plot of Pixar's Coco, (laughs) which is amazing. And I cried. My mom's from Mexico, but her family did not celebrate Day of the Dead, but it's basically a holiday to honor the dead so they're not forgotten. I'm sorry if I get any of this wrong because like I said, my mom didn't celebrate this. I personally don't have a connection with this and actually we have quite a few listeners in Mexico so if any of you want to write us an email and tell us if you celebrate Day of the Dead or how common it is in your area or if you know people that do we would love to hear about that that is really interesting oh I agree I don't know a lot about it myself say that name again even like Dia de los Muertos I'll yeah leave that to you (laughs) (laughs) yeah well according to the movie Coco you put pictures on an ofrenda like a personal altar of your deceased relatives and it's a day to remember them and according to you know the lore that this is the day where they can visit the physical world and you leave them food offerings and basically make sure that they're not forgotten it's a nice tradition for sure So maybe let's get into some actual book recommendations. And I want to start with a short story anthology. And that is Halloween edited by Paula Gurren. Now, just to clarify, Paula Gurren has edited a couple of Halloween collections. So I just want to specify that this one is just straight called Halloween. And this is a collection of classic short stories by very popular horror authors. And she has since then gone on to edit a more recent anthology, which is a collection of new short stories written by more up-and-coming authors. And that one's called Halloween, Magic, Mystery, and the Macabre. And so try not to confuse the two collections. I personally only read the one with the classic short stories. That's what I'm going to be talking about. But trying to order them from the library, I was actually trying to order the other one. And that one came and who knows. So just keep that in mind that the names are very similar and both have the word Halloween in them. All that being said, I love this collection. And even though it's more classic, I did want to include it in this episode because I think a lot of people listening are looking for recommendations of what to be reading this month. And the nice thing is we were purposely posting this episode earlier in October so that you can use this to kind of guide your reading for the next couple weeks. And if you haven't read the classics, I do think October is the perfect time to do this. There was some great stories in this collection. One thing that surprised me is that there was actually a ballad in this collection by Edgar Allan Poe. I 
haven't really read a lot of ballads, but it was beautiful. And there was also a poem by H.P. Lovecraft. And apparently, according to the notes from the editor, he actually has written a lot of poetry, or a fair amount at least, which I had no idea. So that was really interesting. I don't read tons of poetry, but I can say I've now read a poem by H.P. Lovecraft. My personal favorite stories in the collection were more your classic fiction. The first one I want to talk about is Pumpkin Night by Gary McMahon. And this is about a man who carves a pumpkin on Halloween to carry on the annual tradition of his late wife who used to do this every year. It sounds like a beautiful, sweet story, but trust me, it is so gory. You will want to throw it at least in the fridge. So keep that in mind. It was great. I loved it. Of course, I loved it. It was gory. I was not expecting that with that description. I know. And that makes it so good. True. Another one I liked was The Great Pumpkin Arrives at Last by Sarah Langan. And the title comes from the Peanuts holiday special that plays in the background during the story. And this one involves a guy who agrees to do a seance with a girl on Halloween. And you know me, anything involving Ouija boards and possession. I am all here for so that one just rang all my bells and then another one which is pretty fun was pranks by Nina Kiriki Hoffman and this was about a mysterious entity that joins a group of young trick-or-treaters however he prefers to perform nasty magical tricks rather than simply accept the candy offered and it was just kooky and fun in terms of scariness rating you always say it it's going to be varied whenever you're talking about an anthology but maybe it's something about short stories that just work really well for me but these were some of the scariest horror stories i've read in a while so i'd put at least a couple of these stories like i mentioned in the fridge so i definitely think it's a scarier collection or at least has some really scary pieces in there a lot of the stories left a really good impression on me. So we're always recommending short stories on the podcast, but I think it's really great to go back to some of the classics, see some short stories you might have missed by some really well-known names. And that again is Halloween, which is edited by Paula Garand. So my first pick is a classic, and that is The Halloween Tree by Ray Bradbury. And this is set on Halloween night, and eight costumed boys run up to the haunted house on the corner to meet up with their friend Pipkin, but instead find Mr. Moundshroud. He takes the boys on a journey through space and time to find their friend and the meaning of Halloween. So this was a middle grade story and I loved it. It was very lovely, had a lot of great prose. I feel like it gave me all of the autumn feels for Halloween. And it was just a really good story about friendship. This is in a way kind of like the Christmas Carol, but for Halloween, obviously a lot of like differences. But I think in the way that there's like a supernatural being like taking these kids to different places and different times to learn something. And this is something I want to read to my son every Halloween as he gets older. And I found that a lot of people read Ray Bradbury every year. So I know a lot of people commented that they read Something Wicked This Way Comes for Halloween. And a lot of people said that this is their annual Halloween read. So I think it's funny that there's like the two Ray Bradbury books that people read every October. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you mentioned Something Wicked This Way Comes because if we hadn't have just talked about in Carnival Horror, I would have wanted to include it here because it had such good October fall feels. Like it sounds like a very similar reading experience to this one, like kind of a coming of age story about mm-hmm. a group of boys and oh so good yeah so that's good if you're looking for something along that vein to read for halloween and the one i did was a full cast narration audiobook on hoopla but it was an unabridged version you know it was nine hours long or something i was just gonna ask <laughs> if you did what i did and listen to one hour and somehow think you consume the entire book i know what happened guys it was really good and they had like the sound effects for when they're flying and they had you know little kids voice the little kids it was really fun as for rating this is very room temperature it's just autumn halloween fun if you're looking for something like that and something that you can read with small children and the edition that i have that i've also recently seen pop up on bookstagram is beautiful so it's also just a beautiful like coffee book to display around this time if you can find it yeah your copy of the halloween tree is absolutely gorgeous I am lusting over your copy <laughs> so badly. I have to pick up my own. And of yeah. course, I'd read the book because I know you really liked it. And I think I will too. I've liked everything by Bradbury so far. I mean, it should be pretty easy to get. I feel like I said, I've been seeing it pop up everywhere. So I don't think it's like rare. 
So my next pick is Ghost Road Blues by Jonathan Mayberry, and this is set in Pine Deep, a fictional Pennsylvania town that is considered to be the most haunted town in America, which of course brings in a lot of tourism. So about 30 years ago, there were brutal murders in the town until a group of townspeople banded together and killed a man called the Bone Man, who they believed was responsible for all these murders. However, before he died, he protested and said, no, I'm innocent. All the murders were actually done by someone else named Griswold. When he turns into a werewolf form, he gets into a craze and is the reason for these killings. And at first, the killing stopped, so they believed they had done the right thing. However, years later, just just around Halloween, Griswold and the Bone Man reawaken and the killings start again. So this is just a fun newer book to read around Halloween. It's the first book in the Pines Deep trilogy, but it certainly can be read as a standalone. You could stop here if you're someone who doesn't really like series. It's definitely more on the supernatural side of horror, so you do need to be okay with those elements. And I don't think you've read Ghost Road Blues yet. Mm -mm. But the premise of this one reminded me of what you've described a god in the shed to be. So I'm actually really curious. I want to read the book that you've recommended in the past and see how they compare because I felt like the synopsis was similar. The idea of like a town with serial killers and it's like, did they solve the crime and kill the correct person or bring the that person to justice or is something more evil going on? Da, da, da. Oh, that sounds really interesting. That's been on my TBR forever. Yeah, mine too. I'm glad I finally got the excuse to read it. Do you think you're going to go on with the series? I think so. I don't read tons of series, but it piqued my interest enough that I kind of want to see what's next. And it's only three books. Like I like the fact that it has a set ending. I'm a little bit wary of like those series with like 10 plus books that just never seem to end because as I've said before, I really do like a tight narrative. And I think like with three books, the author kind of has a beginning, middle and end as opposed to let's just keep going and see how long this lasts until my publisher cuts me off. So I think so. In terms of rating, I was thinking room temperature. It just didn't really scare me at all. I found it to be engaging and exciting and fast paced, but not necessarily scary. And so that again is Ghost Road Blues by Jonathan Mayberry. So my next pick is one of my favorite books I've read this year, and that is Kill Creek by Scott Thomas. So four horror authors are approached to do a live stream interview from a notoriously haunted house in Kansas called Kill Creek. And each of the horror authors has a specific kind of horror that they're famous for. So they do the interview, but the house might have different plans for them. And I just loved this as a lover of haunted house stories. There's just a lot of great lore the story opens up with one of the horror authors teaching a course on gothic stories and makes a case for a lot of great horror movies kind of using the gothic model, including like A Nightmare on Elm Street and a few others. I loved how different all of the horror authors were and kind of trying to figure out who their real life counterparts would be. Like there's an author who does teen middle grade horror books. You know, everyone reading it is like, is it Christopher Pike? Is it R.L. Stein? <laughs> yes. And the interview scene was fun. Fun. You got the authors arguing about the merits of their own type of horror, which had me like all kinds of geeking out, you know, because they kind of start getting defensive about what they write being true horror and why. And I was just like, yes to everything. <laughs> <laughs> But it wasn't just about that. It was also interesting because the lore of the Kill Creek house itself was very fascinating. And I don't think you could have one without the other, because if you just had the authors having these really interesting conversations without having interesting lore, I don't think it would have worked as well. But I think it was interesting on all fronts. So it just worked really well. I loved how that played into the story and the part that the house played in influencing these authors and kind of going after them and finding their weaknesses was so great. So this was nominated for a Bram Stoker Award for first novel last year, and that's why I picked it up. And it was so great. I'm not the only one that thought so because Showtime did pick it up for a miniseries adaptation, and I am so excited to see how that pans out. For rating, I might put this in the fridge, possibly freezer. You know, everyone is different about that. There was just so much great horror, and you can tell that Scott Thomas is someone who has a good understanding of the horror genre, and he knew how to play around with it. It was so well done. Loved it, as I've said before. So that is Kill Creek by Scott Thomas. I'm just dying to read that. I just got notification from my library that a copy shipped. My library didn't even buy a copy of it. 
And so I was like humming and hawing and it wasn't in my budget to buy any more horror books right now. So I actually did the library request thing where you go with like ask the library to buy a book and I was so mm-hmm. happy when they did and so I'm like first in line and I'm just dying <laughs> to read it if I love it then I'll set aside money and pick it up in the future for sure because it sounds amazing and I've been dying to read it since you first mentioned it well I'm glad you got your library to buy it you were making other horror fans in your area happy <laughs> I'm afraid I'm going to be the only one who checks it out so maybe I'll check it out like five times to justify the purchase to my library you got to do what you got to do Maybe some old lady will pick it up thinking it's like a cozy mystery. She'll be like, oh, this is adorable. Yeah, that would make me happy. So my final pick is Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. And this is set on Halloween in 1963. This novel takes place in a small Midwestern town. Every Halloween, a creature known as the October Boy rises out of the cornfield with a pumpkin for a head and a body stuffed with candy, wielding a butcher's knife. The teenage boys in this town are tasked with the challenge of taking on and killing the monster each Halloween. The novel follows Pete McCormick, who is one of the boys that is trying to kill the October boy, as an opportunity to escape this small town. I really enjoyed this one. It's very short. It's a concise little story, which is something I really like. And I feel like it took a very classic horror narrative and just made it feel fresh. I just thought it had a lot of Halloween atmosphere built into the story. The fact that he has a pumpkin head, everything around it, like the cornfield background, just as all those classic Halloween elements that I love to see in a story. But what I think made the story so fresh for me was the fact that it was done in this really particular second person narration style, which I personally loved. It just felt so different and I'm at the point with my horror reading that I go in and out of reading slumps, honestly, because I read so much that I kind of can get tired if I feel like I'm reading the same story over and over again. So it was such a nice relief to read a horror story that just felt different. And that's why this one really caught my attention. However, as much as I like that second person narration style, I feel like this book is really polarizing. You either love the style or you don't. And... If you're not afraid to talk about it, is it fair to say it was not your favorite? No, I did not like this book. I believe you used the word smug to describe the narrator. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty particular about second person. I feel like when it works, it works. And for me, like there were scenes where it's like he screamed but no one heard him. But you already knew that, didn't you? I'm like, no, I didn't. I'm reading this story for you to tell me what happened. (laughs) Oh, and I'm such a sucker for that. I just loved it. I wanted to highlight so much of it. I got it from the library. Otherwise, I would have had my highlighter out. I thought it was so funny. But I totally get it. Like, right from the first chapter, like, you'll either be like, this is great, or like, whoa, whoa, what am I reading? Yeah, I think that was really before I started really getting into horror. So I was just confused about a lot of things because the packaging of it, it feels like a middle grade book because it was a novella. It's so short and like the font was so big. I started kind of feeling like this was an R.L. Stein book, but then you start reading it and you're like, oh, this is definitely not young adult. This is like an adult book. And I think I was just really confused about it. And yeah, the narrator got on my nerves and then I kind of knew how the story was going to go, which didn't help either. So it was not a pleasant experience for me. But I see a lot of people like this book on the internet. So I go on Bookstagram, a lot of people post about it saying this is a good Halloween book. So you're not alone in liking it. I feel like I'm more alone in not liking it. Yeah. And I actually think it's good to talk about like differing opinions on the podcast because everyone's trying to figure out if that book is for them. And I've become much more cautious in my recommending of books that I'll say I really liked it, but you'll like it if you like blank and blank or you may not like it if this bothers you those kind of things so it's kind of good Mm -hmm. for people to hear what works and doesn't and so I wouldn't blindly recommend this book to everyone and their cat because like you said second person narration is really particular when it comes to the reader so you kind of have to like try the first page for yourself and I feel like you'll either be like yes I'm all in or being like "Mm, maybe not for me it's definitely a well-received book it actually won a Bram Stoker award in 2006 certainly this one's gotten some recognition and you can just tell from the synopsis it's one of those like fun slasher style fiction stories which are always up my alley and I've noticed that I really enjoy books involving pumpkin-headed people which (laughs) I will talk about more in future episodes but it seems to be something I just enjoy in my horror so love more recommendations for pumpkin-headed 
people stories. In terms of rating, I had a little bit of discussion with you ahead of time. I want to put this book as room temperature. I'm a little worried that I've become very desensitized to horror because I didn't find this one very scary and I'm finding myself giving a lot of books room temperature ratings lately. So bear that in mind. I felt it was room temperature to me, but to each their own. And again, that is Dark Harvest by Norman Partridge. I also think there's Pumpkinhead horror movie. Like I said, I haven't seen every horror movie and it's one I haven't seen. So we didn't talk about it at the top. So I think if you want your fill of pumpkin-headed people, I believe there are movies out there for you. Mm-hmm. Sleepy <laughs> Hollow is on my list for this year. Oh yeah, that's right. You're reading that for the readathon. Yeah, we're in the midst of it right now and we yeah. are winning at this. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm telling my future self that. <laughs> we'll see if that's true on what is it, the ninth. Yeah. My last pick is a short story anthology. It is called Haunted Nights, edited by Ellen Datlow, podcast favorite. So this is an anthology of short stories that are all revolving around Halloween. They're all set around Halloween. So I really enjoyed this collection. So one of my favorite stories was the opening story with Graveyard Weeds and Wolfbane Seeds by Seanan McGuire. And it's about these teens breaking into this empty house that's in their neighborhood on Halloween and what ends up happening to them. It was a really good opener to the collection, just really playing up on like the lore of the house and like why it's tradition to do this in the neighborhood. And then you see what ends up happening to the teenagers. It was really fun. An author that we just mentioned, there's a short story called A Small Taste of the Old Country by Jonathan Mayberry, which took place in South America. I don't want to say too much about it, but it was really fun. I think when you get into the story, you kind of know the direction it's going to take. But it's so satisfying that you're okay with it. And there was a story by Kelly Armstrong. And I'm sorry, I don't speak Welsh. So this might be all kinds of mispronounced. But it's called Nos Galen Gaeaf. I'll just spell it. It's N-O-S-G-A-L-E-N and then G-A-E-F. So however you pronounce that. So this took place in an American town that had a large population and that carried on Welsh traditions. And it's about a boy that wants to play a prank on this girl and have her spend the next year thinking that she's going to die. And just all the lore that went into the town was really interesting, all of the traditions. And he was talking about how like certain people that wanted to just celebrate like normal Halloween had to take a bus out of the town to go to the next town to go trick-or-treating because here in this town, they stuck to like the Welsh traditions. It also took a dark turn. So it was a dark story. And my favorite story was closer to the end and it was by Jong Langan and it was called Lost in the Dark. And when I start talking about it, you'll know exactly why I loved it. This one was kind of House of Leaves-esque. I would say plot, not style. There wasn't like funky fonts and like upside down and backwards writing. But this is about a found footage horror movie that might have roots in the truth. So in the story, there's a found footage horror movie that has like this really big cult following. And the narrator is talking about how there was a special interview as one of the DVD extras for the movie. And it was an interview with Rue Morgue which is a Canadian horror publication. Andrea Subasati from the Faculty of Horror podcast, you know, is the editor for Room Morgue. And so it was just funny to see those like real life things play out. But the director of the film in the story was doing an interview with them. And she admits that originally it was supposed to be a documentary. And so the narrator turns out to be that director's college professor. And he is going to interview her about the roots and what was truth and what was fiction and what happened in the story that's just become a movement. It's just become so popular. And it was just interesting because in the story, you are kind of reading like what happens in the movie and the narrator cites IMDb synopses, which I don't know if you ever read those like when you're done with the movie to see like how people do like play by plays and so it's like the IMDB synopsis says you know then this character does this and then this character does this (laughs) and then like they turn here but then this happens and then so it was really interesting to kind of like get that view on it and then also talk to the director and just have all these different layers with also a fictional horror movie which is one of my favorite things in horror and I just thought it was very well done so that was A Lost in the Dark by John Langan. That definitely sounds up your alley and so impressive to 
artistic, all of that in a short story. Like yeah. everything you're describing, I, I would think you're talking about a novel just for the depth of that story. Yeah. I mean, it was like 30 pages, but still, yeah, it was a lot to put in there. So as we mentioned, with short story collections, you're going to have a varied rating. I will say overall, I would put it in the fridge because there really wasn't a lot of tame stories in this. So I would put it in the fridge. There's a lot of bloodshed. A lot of dark stuff happens on Halloween. So that was Haunted Nights. And that is a collection edited by Ellen Datlow. Well, when you mentioned bloodshed, you know you've sold me on the collection. <laughs> I actually have it sitting right on my nightstand. So I'm hoping to start it soon. I was hoping to start it before we record. But, you know, life happens. Definitely looking forward to it. I've said it before, but like Ellen Datlow can do no wrong, in my opinion, when it comes to short story <laughs> collections. Yeah, she has a good eye for them. Like her collections, it's like a stamp of approval if her name is on it for sure. So I want to talk about my chilling obsession this week. And I watched a movie called Beyond the Gate, which is available on Netflix here in Canada and I believe in the States too. I tried to Google it. I meant to check with you, Stephanie, ahead of time. <laughs> and I first heard about it on the Nightmare on Film Street podcast, which I want to mention is a great resource for people looking for horror movie recommendations. They do a combination of reviewing really current movies that are out in theaters as kind of drive-in reviews, they call them. And then they also do head-to-head -head reviews going with older movies and just comparing two really classic films. It's a lot of fun. It's done by two Canadians and they're just hilarious and inappropriate. It's so much fun. So definitely recommend Nightmare on Film Street. But anyway, they were talking about Beyond the Gate as a movie that they felt was very underhyped. And I agree with that. It's actually one I haven't heard lots about. So hopefully it's a newer recommendation to at least some people here. It's a movie that came out in 2016 with a fairly small budget. It's about two estranged brothers who reunite to clean up their father's video store after he's been missing for about seven months. They come across a VCR board game called Beyond the Gate and of course decide to play it that evening. When they start to play it, the video narrator provides the game instructions and tells them that they need to collect four keys in order to complete the game and save their father. They of course get freaked out and want to quit, but of course they realize that once they have started the game, they must play the game to completion and there is no way to back out. You can probably guess I loved the premise of this. <laughs> like all of the nostalgic horror elements in this and it's just everything I love. I've never actually gotten to play one of those VCR board games, but if you're familiar, like you put in a tape and then someone kind of narrates you through parts of the story, but there's also a board that you follow. So it was kind of those first attempts in the 1980s of creating like interactive play before they really had the technology like you know, modern video games to do that. And it just looked like so much fun. It wasn't a perfect movie, but again, it just had all those elements I love so much. And they did an incredible amount with such a small budget. I think horror movies really benefit from having like blockbuster money to throw behind it for really great special effects. So despite not having that, I just thought it really was just fun and kooky and unique. And I loved it. So that's called Beyond the Gate, which should be available on Netflix, at least in North America. It sounds really good. And it sounds like a horror Jumanji. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I want to describe it. Like once you start it, you got to finish it. So before I go to my chilling obsession, I did want to apologize for my chilling obsession a few episodes ago where I was talking about Castle Rock and I got a lot of information wrong. I think Castle Rock kind of goes into the Dark Tower universe, which I have read none of those. Like those are not exactly like my cup of tea in any way. So while I have been enjoying the show, I don't know that I'm someone with like a lot of Stephen King expertise. So I'm sorry if you were cringing through that episode as I mumbled some of the facts. But anyway, I wanted to recommend a podcast this week that was recommended by two of our patrons. You can find them on Instagram. That's Emily over at book.happy and Roger over at Roger underscore reads. And that is Snap Judgment Presents Spooked. And it's people telling these creepy or supernatural real life stories. I've only listened to a handful of episodes and I haven't listened to them in order. So I still need to do a lot of catching up. But it feels a lot like the Let's Not Meet podcast. I would say, except it's not limited 
to people, I guess, like someone you would say, like, let's not meet to, but just like people having these weird stories to tell. Some of them were kind of scary and some of them were a little crazy. And I probably should have looked this up before the podcast, but I want to say the narrator on it sounds like the guy who did the Heaven's Gate podcast, which was one of our chilling obsessions, like in our first or second episode. Oh, yeah, that's an oldie. Yeah, I think he works for like public radio, which is what this is. So far, it's been really good. I think they're going to do episodes up until Halloween. So I am definitely looking forward to catching up on the backlog of those. That sounds great. You always find this most unique podcast recommendations. I look online and everyone just recommends Welcome to Night Vale and the Black Tapes over and over again. So I'm always (laughs) so impressed that you find these more underhyped ones. And I guess it's even for yourself, you get recommendations from other horror fans, which is great. Our patrons have amazing tastes in horror media. So I need to get more recommendations from them. They're a great resource too. (laughs) Yes. We have some new reviews up on Apple Podcasts I wanted to read. So we have a five-star review from shelves 10 who says so happy this podcast is awesome and just what i needed in my life i can finally get my horror fix yay we're happy to be of help to you yes thank you and another five-star review titled dangerous for your tbr list by buried in books and i appreciate the name so they say i recently discovered this podcast and have listened to every episode this show is entertaining and enlightening the hosts are very knowledgeable and each episode seems to add another book or two to my tbr list i highly recommend this to anyone interested in reading horror Thank you so much. Yeah, really appreciate it. So thank you guys so much. Reviews help people find the podcast like we mentioned and help us grow and get more visibility on Apple Podcasts with the algorithms and everything. So thank you so much for taking the time to write out reviews. It really does mean a lot to us. Absolutely. Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at BooksFreezerPod or on Instagram at BooksInTheFreezer. You can send us an email at BooksInTheFreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at BooksInTheFreezer.com. We're on Patreon at BooksInTheFreezer and we wanted to take a moment to say thank you to our patrons. Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Jamie, Tracy, Alicia, Christopher, David, Mac, and PT. And if you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review like the ones we read earlier on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It really does help people find us. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya or on Instagram at That's What She Read. And that's That's with two A's. Or you can find me on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. You can find me on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange or I'm also on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. So join us next time for Books in the Freezer.